We have been trying for many, many weeks now to try to get into Gaza. It has been impossible uh, for us. Up until Tuesday, we were able to travel inside with some medical volunteers who are working at a newly established, newly built field hospital that has been set up by the United Arab Emirates in the southern part of Gaza. As you know, the southern part of Gaza is now very much the focus of Israel's military operations. That is exacerbating an already dire humanitarian catastrophe and leading to record numbers of civilian casualties as we saw for ourselves. You don't have to search for tragedy in Gaza. It finds you on every street, strewn with trash and stagnant water, desolate and foreboding. So we've just crossed the border into southern Gaza. This is the first time we've actually been able to get into Gaza since October 7th. And we are now driving to a field hospital that has been set up by the UAE. Up until now, Israel and Egypt have made access for international journalists next to impossible. And you can see why. Since October 7th, the Israeli military says it has hit Gaza with more than 22,000 strikes. That by far surpasses anything we've seen in modern warfare in terms of intensity and ferocity. And we really, honestly, are just getting a glimpse of it here. Despite Israel's heavy bombardment, there are people out on the streets, a crowd outside a bakery. Where else can they go? Nowhere is safe in Gaza used to be right. a stadium. Arriving at the Emirati Field Hospital, we meet Sorry, Dr. Abdullah Al-Nakbi. No sooner does our tour begin when... So, our ambulance. That's a real life. And this is what you hear all the time now? Yes. At least 20 times a day. At least 20 times a day. Maybe more sometimes. Uh, I think we get used to it. One thing none of the doctors here have got used to is the number of children they are treating. The UN estimates that some two-thirds of those killed in this round of the conflict have been women and children. Eight-year-old Janan was lucky enough to survive a strike on her family home that crushed her femur but spared her immediate family. She says she's not in pain, so that's good. Her mother, Hiba, was out when it happened. I went to the hospital to look for her, she says, and I came here and I found her here. The doctors told me what happened with her, and I made sure that she's okay. Thank God. I was sitting next to my grandfather, and my grandfather held me, and my uncle was fine, so he is the one who took us out. But Dr. Ahmed Al-Mazrawi says it is hard not to. I work with old people, like uh, adults, but the children, something touching you. Uh, 
touches your heart and tests your faith in humanity. As we leave Jinan, Dr. Al-Nakbi comes back with the news of casualties arriving from the strike just 10 minutes earlier. So just got us there, we sent right now two amputated uh, young uh, male uh, from uh, the, just the bomb you From heard. the cusp we just yes. heard, from the bomb we just heard? This is uh, my understanding. Okay. They will arrive to our red areas. A man and a 13-year-old boy are wheeled in, both missing limbs, both in a perilous state. What's your name? What's your name? The doctor asks. The notes provided by the paramedics are smeared with blood. The tourniquet improvised with a bandage. Since the field hospital opened less than two weeks ago, it has been inundated with patients. 130 of their 150 beds are already full. So let me understand this. You are now basically the only hospital around that still has some beds? I guess so, yes. Or maybe I'm very sure of that, because they are telling me uh, one of the hospital with a capacity of 200, uh, they are accommodating 1,000 right now. And the next door hospital, I'm not very sure, he said like 50 to 200, uh, has maybe 400 to 500 patients. So at one occasion he called me, he said, I have three patients in each bed, please take any. I said, send as many as you can. I mean, we've been here 15 minutes, and uh, this is already what uh, we're seeing. This is, you hear it, you see it. In every bed, another gut punch. Less than two years old, Amir still doesn't know that his parents and siblings were killed in the strike that disfigured him. Yesterday, he saw a nurse that looked like his father. His aunt, Nahaya, tells us he kept screaming, Dad, Dad, Dad. Amir is still too young to comprehend the horror all around him. But 20-year-old Lama understands it all too well. Ten weeks ago, she was studying engineering at university and helping to plan her sister's wedding. Today, she is recovering from the amputation of her right leg. Her family followed Israeli military orders and fled from the north to the south. But the house where they were seeking shelter was hit in a strike. The world isn't listening to us, she says. Nobody cares about us. We have been dying for over 60 days, dying from the bombing, and nobody did anything. Words of condemnation delivered in a thin rasp. But does anyone hear them? Like Grozny, Aleppo, and Mariupol, Gaza will go down as one of the great horrors of modern warfare. It's getting dark, time for us to leave. A privilege the vast majority of Gazans do not have. Our brief glimpse from a window onto hell is ending as a new chapter in this ugly conflict unfolds. Now, the death toll in Gaza as a result of Israel's frenzy bombardment currently hovers at roughly 18,000. If you do the math, extrapolating as the UN says that two-thirds 
uh, of the casualties roughly are civilians. That uh, is about 11,800 civilians who have been killed in just over two months. And to give you a comparison, in the first year of the U.S. invasion of Iraq in 2003, uh, according to an independent research organization, some 7,700 civilians were killed by U.S. forces. In 20 years in Afghanistan, according to independent research groups, some 12,000 civilians were killed. So in just two months, you're now approaching 12,000 civilians, and that's the same amount who were killed in 20 years uh, during the U.S.'s war in Afghanistan. So this is truly staggering and unprecedented. Phil, Erica? Clarissa, it's, it's an extraordinarily powerful piece because you're taking us, one, in, and two, to the personal stories. I think have been dif difficult to some degree to come by because of the conflict and the type of conflict this has been. Your reference in the piece to uh, Grozny, Aleppo, Mariupol, uh, you've covered so many conflict zones. You've covered uh, some of the worst conflicts uh, that have happened in the last several decades, if not longer. How would you compare this to this? It's always difficult to compare conflicts, um, but I would just say it is so striking that the people of Gaza have nowhere they can go, have nowhere that is safe. They are literally being told to move from the north as the north gets bombed. They move to the south and the south gets bombed. Now they're expected to move to a different area in central Gaza. And let's be very clear, it is not easy to move around right now in Gaza. We saw almost no cars on the streets. People do not have fuel. People are afraid to try to make road runs because of the risk that that incurs. And so, of course, you are seeing a horrific impact, not just in terms of the civilian casualties that we talked about, but in terms of the humanitarian crisis. You're talking about malnutrition. You're talking about the spread of preventable diseases. We talked to the doctors who said that they're treating cases of sepsis and patients are nearly dying where these should be straightforward operations that can't be performed. They described one incident where a man had worms in a wound on his head because there is such a lack of a sanitary, uh, you know, any sanitary environment in which to perform surgeries or operations. So this is a crisis of epic proportions, and the fact that humanitarian aid workers do not have the access that they need just makes it all the more staggering. One extra point that I really need to make here, Phil, because I think it's important. This was our first time being able to gain access into Gaza. But the journalists in Gaza have been doing heroic, extraordinary work. They have paid such a high price for that. This is the deadliest conflict for journalists that we have seen in decades. More than 60 journalists in Gaza alone have been killed in the last two and a half months. That is according to the Committee to Protect Journalists. So you have a perfect storm here with massive bombardment, an inability to create safe zones, an inability to get humanitarian access where it's needed, and incredibly brave journalists who are doing everything they can to tell the stories and bring the reality to the world. But the frustration of international journalists who can't get in to try to complement and supplement their efforts. It is, it is remarkable and such an important picture that you paint of all of those challenges in this moment. 
I was struck by in that field hospital, so much of what we've talked about has been what is needed in terms of medical supplies, as you just pointed out, um, and, and what that can mean, but also the electricity. And there was so much talk about fuel in the beginning and fuel being needed to run generators at hospitals. How That field hospital that you were at, how was it able to operate and to run some of those mm -hmm. machines? And is it at risk? So, Erica, because that field hospital is operated by the Emirates and because the Emirates have a normalized relationship with Israel, they are able to get supplies in, get fuel in, in a way that the vast majority of hospitals in Gaza are not. And even they face very real challenges, endless bureaucracy, onerous waits at the border trying to get those supplies in. But what the doctor said is, uh, Gazan hospitals are referring their patients to the Emirati Field Hospital. They're coming in in a very bad state of shape. They don't have proper tourniquets even, which mm -hmm. are a crucial thing in terms of stopping the bleeding. They don't have proper painkillers. Uh, the doctor told us they're needing to give vast doses of painkillers to people who are in extraordinary amounts of excruciating pain because these hospitals have just had to ration whatever minimal supplies they have. Also, this field hospital is very close to that border uh, with Egypt. And so really, they are not a microcosm, and they should not give you uh, any a reflection or idea of what most Gaza hospitals look like. Um, they are a sort of island, and that is why they are getting so many referrals from these other hospitals that are teetering on the brink of collapse. In fact, many of them just have simply mm -hmm. collapsed and are therefore trying to refer as many patients to this field hospital as perfect as possible to try to get them some modicum of decent care. I, I will continue to be struck by the line, no one's listening. Uh, it seems like every patient either wanted to say or was saying to you, Clarissa Ward, it's uh, remarkable work. And to your point, there are dozens of journalists on the ground there that have lost their lives covering this. There are dozens still there covering it every day, have lost family members. Um, and your work coming in and supplementing that uh, and adding to it is incredibly important. We appreciate your time as always. Thank you.